Welcome to a new episode of Front End Happy Hour Podcast. In today's episode, we will be discussing unhealthy company culture and how to deal with it. Let's go around the table and give brief introduction of today's panelists. Augustus, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Augustus, and I'm a front-end engineer at Evernote. Stacey London, a front-end engineer at Atlassian. I'm Mars Julian. I'm a software engineer at Netflix. Jim Young, software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the podcast, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Toxic. 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 And it's not the Britney Spears song. We're just going to say toxic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's jump right in. What constitutes a healthy culture to you? At least for me, like a company that really um, values like supporting my like growth and career and really like just focusing on letting me learn. Like I know like it's pretty easy to get caught up in like deadlines and stuff, but there are just some things in work that like really take time to understand and learn how to do so do you think like a company needs to have something uh like a defined process for that because some companies have like a growth trajectory and things to follow or can it be ambiguous what do you think makes it better for your culture of growth i I think it like depends on the team but at least for our team i've definitely seen it like has been awesome making it part of the process like we'll like come across like like a feature that we want to work on and we'll want to try something new that we haven't tried before and so we'll ask for like time to like work on it and stuff and depending on like how we like like we like do like preliminary investigations and stuff and we like really talk with the pm and like try to like kind of set the expectation that that is something that we really need to do awesome yeah so you're getting to try new things yeah exactly I think that kind of ties into like something I want to say too is a company that to me, they have healthy cultures are companies that recognize the soft skills. And I think this is really important, especially for software engineering. Um, because you can be, you know, a great developer and have a company that doesn't recognize any of those skills whatsoever in terms of like interpersonal, like being able to manage interpersonal relationships, being able to speak, which is where kind of the cultivation and encouragement of that really comes in and, being able to communicate and kind of all those things that can very easily be swept under the rug for engineers, I think. It's not really highlighted all the time. Let's just focus on like, how do you become better technically? And it's like, well, wait, how do you speak or how do you sell your ideas? Right. Or becoming better technically also can be, you know, becoming better at asking the right types of product questions and not always knowing exactly which framework to use and what types of designs you should be looking at and who to go to and that type of thing. I think in that same line of communication of like what constitutes a healthy culture would be a culture where everyone will get up and just talk to each other as opposed to like headphones on all the time, throwing things over walls, like only emailing each other or whatever, like the a kind of culture where people you can see you walk around that office and you can see like that designer sitting next to the front end engineer and they're working together on something instead of you know, passing something back back and forth. I think that's, like, for me, a sign of a really healthy culture that people are just willing to work together um, and not be told they have to either. Like, they just want, want to do that because collaboration means a lot to them. I think another note, just good work-life balance, I'll say it, is, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. I yes. think a lot in startups, in, in any companies, I've, I've had it in agencies, oftentimes you get sucked into, like, you're having to work all the time and you do burn out. Like, that is not healthy and it, it actually is not a good thing. You know, sometimes, yeah, you might put in some extra time, but at the same point, you want somewhere that respects your actual life as well. Yeah, and I want to add to that, too, because I had that as a point, and I think it's, some every company does work life balance in a different way and the companies that I've really appreciated do it in I would say a not superficial way in terms of oh we have a good work life balance we go out to happy hours all the time we have ping pong tables we take all sorts of breaks during the day and to me it really means being able to be an adult and be a professional but also not take yourself too seriously so i mean in the middle of the day you could you know still be a professional and adult but you make a mistake and you can kind of laugh off, laugh it off or laugh at yourself or just be able to find the humor in some of the day to day interactions and and but also maintain your professionalism. I like that. It's almost like feeling comfortable to make a mistake because I think that that can really help too. Is right. you should be feel comfortable in your company that yeah, it's okay to make mistakes. You don't want to replicate making the same mistake over and over again, but we're all going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, and I think sometimes there's the culture of fear if you don't want to really go outside of your comfort zone ever because you're always worried about fear um, of making the mistake. 
an example of that uh, at a place prior uh, to where I am now. It's not not where I am now. <laughs> uh, it was like a sh- sort of a shame culture. Like you broke the build, and they um, there was this sombrero. First of all, this was super racist. Second of all, they're like, if you break the build, you need to wear the sombrero all day. And I was like, there are so many things wrong with this. Like, Ouch. not yeah. o- like not okay, not cool. Like, and it, it made you feel bad, like yeah. extremely bad that you are, you know, being called out for doing something that everyone does. Oh yeah, um, it's a like lot it's if- a work. It's like a given that you're going to break the build. To me, that's just yeah. a rite of passage when you're working on a team. Is like you'll break the build. Yeah, but to like quote celebrate it, and they thought it was like this celebration funny thing, and I was like, no, shame culture, not cool. Pretty toxic. Toxic. <laughs> toxic. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Mars and Ryan, you guys nailed it. A culture where you're, it's okay to fail is always a solid culture. And where it's not okay to fail is usually a, like a very negative culture. It, it, it's very black and white for me. It's, it shows a lot. It's like, okay, Augustus, you failed at something. Well, Oops. what do we learn from that? <laughs> and instead of like shaming you or just making you fix it, things like that, it's like, what do we learn? Let's try to fix the, the process if you have it. Um, but also to speak to everybody's points about work-life balance, it's a work-life balance that works for everyone, not just people under 30 who don't have kids, which unfortunately Silicon Valley, that tends to be what their idea of work-life balance is like. We have drinks after work and we hang out. And that's cool. But like, I don't want to do that. I just want to do my job and go home because that's where I'm most comfortable. And like occasionally I'll go out. But I, I see a lot of cultures like impose that on people. It's like, well, actually the deals are being done or, you know, promotions are being handed out when you go out for drinks. And um, that's not the way people who are more mature act anymore no i've seen the negative on that side where actually a company in silicon valley i'm not going to mention which company it's not somewhere i've worked i I remember the female engineer got told she was leaving too early and she needed to stay later or else she'll never get promoted and it was bad for her perception that she's leaving early and guess when she was leaving she was leaving at 5 36 o'clock which to me is not leaving early and she has two kids at home. So how is that fair at all? And I mean, she wasn't coming in late. She was probably one of the ones le- coming in early. And I mean, I think you should have the flexibility. Some engineers I work with will come in at 10, 11 o'clock and they stay a little bit later. Like, that's fine. That works for their life. But it doesn't work for everyone's life. And we shouldn't shame someone for leaving, quote unquote, early. That that doesn't make sense either. So uh, good point, Jim. I think we're we don't want to dip into the unhealthy part. Oh, I know. I kind of got ahead of myself. That's the part where we all have something to say. (laughs) Yeah. More healthy things. I I look for a diverse team. That means you have not just we're talking about like um, the racist on. I mean like their socioeconomic background. Um, Are they varied in their thought? Because diversity of thought is important in like building a healthy company. So it's like yeah, we we've got a healthy culture, but it's all a bunch of like white dudes from um, like Harvard who all went to the same class together. I'm like, you may all be like the coolest, most chill people in the world, but like, you can't tell me that's a healthy culture because it's a monoculture and that's, that's not the strongest thing. So a good diverse team, I think is the foundation of a good culture. Yeah. And I think it builds a better product too, right? Because if it's just all the same people, you're designing for that one type of person. And I mean that if that's the product and that's the goal of it, sure. But like typically a lot of the products we're working on are made for a lot of different people. And so if you come from a, all different walks of life, that really helps build a diverse product. I think a healthy culture too is also one in which it's not only an engineering culture, meaning shipping something is something that everybody's proud of the design team the the product team the qa whatever the all the representative groups are are proud of what's being shipped and not like oh we're always being left out or shipping is more important than quality or having something that feels more balanced that way like where everybody's proud of what's being um being given to customers i think is important i think also in the end that will drive for a better product or a better experience because if that's really the case i mean everyone's going to be invested in it too from the very get-go so everyone's going to if they're proud of putting their name on it they're invested in it from the start and and it just has more minds in it it has more eyes on it you know probably higher quality more thought behind it well said i didn't even think of that but well said um companies that value everybody equally no matter what your role is a sign of a healthy culture there are plenty of companies it's like the the sales team, the biz dev team, email blast every time they close a big deal. That's cool. But what about the backend engineer who made it just a little bit faster? 
what about their contribution? They're not going to feel welcome and loved. Or it's easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, we, we do big things because we work on product teams. So we build things that go to clients. But a lot of people don't. What about those teams? Do they get as much respect and admiration as everybody else? That That's the sign of a good culture. Yeah, those are the tools that we use in order to get that product out to our facing customers. Is like, what about those tools that not everyone sees? Yeah. That's a good point. Right. Our work is kind of built on the shoulder of giants yeah. like over and over and over again. So, you know, a company that will recognize all of that work that goes into it, that's a good company to work for. So that being said, <laughs> how do we No, How do you like identify an unhealthy c- culture? I think of this a lot when you're interviewing and when you're even talking to someone who works at a, a company and maybe you're just even doing like an informational in- interview. What are some things like how do you start to identify an unhealthy culture? Maybe you're already there. How do you start to identify it? I'm, I'm interested to hear some of the things that you should be looking for, red flags that stand out. I think one of the obvious things to look for is probably in the interview process. I mean, there's other things you can find in having individual conversations with your panelists. But I think sometimes the interview process will really speak to the culture of that company to begin with. Either it's the panelists that they put in front of you or it's, you know, sort of the like after informal events that happen after you've gone in for an onsite. And I can't ima- like I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people going to interviews and be like, oh, come out for drinks. You know, that's kind of like where the real stuff happens. And like this really probably isn't going to be a good sign for working for this company. And also, if you have a panelist that's very monoculture, either the company didn't think to put together a diverse panel or they don't have the diversity to put together that panel, that to me can also be another red flag. And I mean, there's more that you can you can get from the interview in terms of having conversations with people. But those are the things to me that are pretty glaring and, and stand out very, very quickly. Yeah. Speaking to like the interview, actually, for people who go on to on-sites, usually there's like technical interviews, but then there's like a lunch where it's usually just kind of culture fit. I actually learn a lot about the company's culture from that lunch because like talking to that person even though you're just eating with them like I can ask like some questions and stuff I one time had an on-site and the guy was so stressed with his work that he didn't even like kind of want to talk to me and I got like really huge red flags of the kind of the work culture you know he I actually even started talking to him about what oh what's the problem we're working on he's like oh yeah you know we gotta do this stuff and and I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. And then, like, we kind of bounced ideas. But I already kind of, I could tell how stressed he was. And, yeah, it was just, like, a huge red flag for me. I love that you brought up the lunch because I do feel like you can tell a lot about yeah. a company just by hanging out and saying, oh, yeah, we'll grab lunch. And, you know, and you're not you're not really being interviewed. I mean, when you're on an on-site interview, you're interviewed the whole time. Like, the minute you walk to the front desk and say, mm-hmm. like, here, I'm here to meet so-and-so, you're technically being interviewed. But they may not be asking interview questions, but it is a really good way for you to like look at those types of things. Speaking to the front desk, you know, how does that person treat you when you walk in? If they're like, Ugh, yeah, you're here to interview, like go sit there and wait and, and kind of, you know, that that that's kind of a bit of a red flag. Like they should treat you with utmost respect as much as you should re- treat them with respect. It goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, interviewers. So recruiters that don't make phone calls on time or things like that don't respond in a timely manner is kind of a red flag for me because one, it's literally their job to do these things that if they're not organized enough to do that, then that tells me something about their organizational structure. But two, a good culture interviewing and hiring is the most important thing you can do. Like literally the most, cause like you're, these are the people that are going to build your product and companies that don't value that, which happens a lot. They value the product more than the people. Uh, you see it just, like everybody said, they put the wrong people on the panel, the people are late, they're disorganized, they don't know who you are. Just little things like that kind of add up to mean like, okay, I'm not important. And when I work here, I won't be important either. Yeah. To be honest, at that point, I think of an interview as like, that is so important. So it's like, if you're not even getting treated with that importance as being someone who's interviewing with that company, if the engineers or whoever's interviewing you aren't treating you good, that's even worse. Like, it's like they should be on their best behavior at that time. So that that's a really big red flag. I always say, trust your gut. I know everybody has, <laughs> but trust your gut. When you walk into a place and it doesn't feel right, like something's off, that's almost always the case. Like, it's not a one-off event that you're like, oh, okay, maybe it's just me. In all my experience, it's always been the case. Like, if something feels off, it's going to be off, and it's going to go even more when you start. Um, one of my favorites, I've worked at a few, I've worked at some good companies. I've worked at some bad ones, too. But one of them was, um, was my first day. I get up to leave because it's 6 p.m., which is a little later than most, but, like, whatever. It's my first day. I get up to leave, and someone tells me, like, hey, 
no, the, the CEO, you know, he, he's kind of a stickler. He likes to see people in the seat till like 7.30. And right there, my first day, I should have known, like, that's a bad sign. If they equate butts and seats with productivity, like, red flag. Right there. <laughs> that, that is a toxic culture. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Needless to say, it only got worse. I have many stories from that, that company. But that, that was day one, a red flag. And I should have known then that. What do you do in that case? Did you just like said, fuck it, I'm out? <laughs> uh, so this particular company had several people get hired. Like people that are more senior, had more experience that worked for a week and quit because they knew it then. And they said, we're not even going to bother. And that's also a red flag of people that know better are like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm out. Like, listen to those people. They, they've been around the block a few times. Actually, uh, does do you guys have advice for questions to ask during interviews to uncover the secret, unhealthy, <laughs> yeah, toxic? Didn't want to say. Talk, talk. You just said it. You just <laughs> I said toxic. I said toxic. Oh, oh, but I was like, wait, did you just say toxic? Okay, I guess we're drinking again. Sorry. I don't know if there's like a specific set of questions. And oftentimes the things I look for in an unhealthy culture or when I'm interviewing often relate like pretty much one-to-one to to, like specific experiences that I've had. And that's where kind of trust your gut comes in. But when I was interviewing most recently, to me, like the culture of feedback was very, very important in terms of are you open to feedback? Are you willing to give it? Like all of those things. Are you kind of the type of company that's constantly challenging your employees and whose employees are constantly challenging themselves? And so for me, it was like, what is your culture of feedback? And some companies I interviewed with say, we do a six-month review cycle. And I was like, well, what about in between those six months? Do people go up? to them like what happens when there's you know what what is your conflict resolution process look like and it's like well you go to your manager the manager goes to their manager trickles back down like no one's actually talking to each other at that point and that to me just feels very very political um and sometimes asking the question about how they deal with feedback or how they deal with conflict can show you the political processes that are going on that will i mean they'll be different from company to company but you kind of get those relationships from a question like that i think you just touched on another thing not so much to the interview questions but political environments i feel like that is so toxic cheers Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) cya culture cya cover your ass like i sent you that email and that you know just like sending emails to document what you said even though you you should just be able to have conversations you should be able to have a candid conversation and you know say something direct to someone and trust that hey i'm just telling you this directly i'm not saying the shit behind your back i'm literally telling you like face to face that's how it's gonna be but i feel like a lot of times i've been in it where it's like yeah playing these like backdoor games where you're like talking to someone to get them and shit and it's just like there's so much work and energy that goes into that i don't want a part of it it's so bad at that point but questions asked in an interview uh this has come up before but ask the person how long have they worked there and why are they still there that's, that's like one a of my solid. Favorites. Yeah, that's yeah, my good. favorite. If they can't come up with a good answer, then why? Hey, why did that person even get in the room? Like, send the person who's enthusiastic about working there, not just some random person you pick from a hat. But two, you should have a reason. Like, be be deliberate in all your actions. And if you can't come up with a reason why you're still at the company, then like, why are you still there? That's that's not a good sign. A good question, I think, for uh, like you're saying, like a culture of learning. Um, ask them how they define mentorship and so it's like instead of being like oh do you have you know do you do you uh, work good with junior engineers or whatever and they'll be like yeah instead of asking that like a yes or no answer ask a question that requires them to define to it to define yeah. it and, and and have them explain what that looks like at their their company that's a great way to word it i mean you can ask about work-life balance but i, I kind of feel like that one when you ask it everyone's kind of trained to be like oh yeah we we have good work-life balance and you don't really get to the root of it i think sometimes you can ask like as an engineer you might ask like when pushes go out um you know is there on call like how does that work and almost just like ask as interest not so much that you're digging into like work-life balance but you can kind of piece some of those types of things together to understand what the hours are like Uh, this is a good question i think that's like uh Uh, a subtle question that gets at that is like how do you decide what not to do in a given quarter or a month Hmm. or um prioritization yeah like when was question when was the last time you took something off the priorities and why and that gives you insight into saying like they're just like no we never do ship ship (laughs) (laughs) everything everything needs to get done i love that question that's a great question yeah because i think yeah depending on how you prioritize and make sure that I mean, as an engineer, I want to work on the utmost highest priority work. 
I don't want to be working on something that's really useless to the business. And so I feel like you need to learn how to prioritize and cut things. And if a company can't do that, that's worrisome. And how do they get all the work done? Yeah, then it your means they balance. overwork. Yeah. yeah, exactly. On that one, um, the uh, bad sign is if the CEO is like is a salesman at, at at the core. It's the the head of the business. If they're pushing things, and engineers have to scramble to keep up because they're selling a feature that they don't have yet, and then the engineers have to uh, say he's nodding vigorously. <laughs> uh, the engineers <laughs> have to like make, make up for that. that. That, that shortfall that they, they didn't have before, before like unexpected uh, feature sets, things like that, that's a negative culture because it means like the CEO or the, the C-levels don't respect the engineering work. They don't respect product. They're just like sales, 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 sales. That never turns out well. Right. Yeah. I think that also even speaks to any of the leadership or managers, anything estimating for you. I think that always really bothers me. And even though... I'm an engineer and I, I can have a rough idea of the estimates. I find it really difficult for me to say, hey, Jam Mars, I think this will take a week. You understand that more than I do because you're close to the code more. And so I don't want to volunteer an estimate for you. And I've, I've been on the other end of it where my engineering manager would just like be like, yeah, that's easy. We'll do that in a couple weeks. And it's really like off base. And anytime you hear someone say that's easy, you should question that. <laughs> <laughs> Quick and dirty. <laughs> Quick and dirty. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. It, it kind of shows like a really lack of trust yeah. in the people who are helping build the product. And that's kind of frightening and sad. So I've also been asked, this is actually questions that I've been asked when I'm interviewing people, is how do we refactor or how do we prioritize cleaning up code and how do we value uh, scalable code? I think that's a really good question. I really do is like, what's the philosophy on that? How do you plan for that and, and make sure that there is time for that? Because, you you know, we're constantly trying to ship and you want to ship quickly. But at the same time, we know that if you're constantly just shipping, you know, half-assed code, that's going to bite us in the ass in the long run. And I think that you can learn a lot from a company on that too. I've asked a hard one. This isn't for everybody, but if you have uh, an executive, so a C-level, I've once asked actually a few times, what do you do if you have a moral conflict with product that you need to build. So like someone comes to you and says like, we'll give you $10 million to build this product, but you find it morally questionable. Say it's like, I don't know, spying software or something like that. What do you do in that situation? Like where, where does your morals lie versus the business? And I always find that like an enlightening question. Cause one, nobody expects it. It's, it's <laughs> a hard question, question to answer, yeah. but that is it like really makes you examine like how they think about things. But if they're like, Blah, 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 hand wavy, blah, 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 sales, you know, we'll fix it later. Like, we'll, we'll become good people in 20 years when we're rich. That's like a negative sign to me that they'll just do anything to make more money. It includes like stepping on you and anybody else they need to get to like keep the company going. Also, their users. I think at the heart of this is like, I want to find a company that cares about their users. It's like people are typically in pain for whatever product that you're creating. And at the end of the day, Making money is great, like that's good for the business, but they should also really care about the user. And I think, I don't know what the right questions are. I think there are questions that you can ask that even what you said, Jem, that will be really helpful to learn that. But I think that's really important is like thinking about, you know, will you cut a corner to make more money, but it hurts your user? How does the person perceive that? How, what does the company think of that? Yeah, actually, I was thinking kind of a question that kind of molds those two. I, th I think a question you could ask probably would be, how how would your company respond to like a feature that went out and there was wide negative user feedback? Like, how would you? What's like the res, how, what's the process of the response for that or something? Are you also willing to cut the feature too? Because I've worked at companies where the feature was fundamentally wrong and the users hated it, but I've also heard the answer: "Oh, we spent so much engineering efforts creating yes, yes. it." And to me, that's a good question. Actually, is like, yeah, what happens if you create a bad feature? And you've spent, you know, half a year or a year of engineering resources building it. What do you do? Do you rip that out? Or do you, you know, do you cut your losses and move on? Or do you try and keep that feature because there was so much effort put into it? Maintenance costs. Come on. If you want to sound super, super smart, you can be like, what do you do with the, the sunk cost on a product that is like not doing well or it's just not going to ship? Love that. <laughs> okay, we've talked about some unhealthy things that kind of come up. 
what can you do to help improve an unhealthy culture from a personal standpoint, but also maybe as a team? What are some ways that you think can actually improve an unhealthy culture? Uh, this one is kind of a, a cool one that um, is at Atlassian. They, we have uh, with Stride, our, our chat um, tool, there is someone created a, something called a nudge bot. And if you, if when you're typing uh, some message to somebody, and let's say you, you use the word like, hey guys, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? And it'll be like, did you mean team instead of guys? So like try and help you realize that your the words that you use might be exclusionary or make people feel excluded. And some people hate this bot. There's lots of, th- <laughs> there's lots of internal debate about this bot, but um, in some ways, I think it's kind of cool because people are like, oh, I didn't realize I, I say that or I use that that terminology. So having a little robot help help you create a better culture is kind of kind of cool. Whoa. <laughs> I like it too because you're That's putting cool. you're putting the blame on a bot. It's not someone else like nitpicking <laughs> you all the time. It's like, it's the like a bot linter. is yeah, exactly a linter. <laughs> like we all joke about that. Is that an in-house thing or is it uh, pub- that should be? I would down, should honestly open source that. I will look into that. I do not know. Make it a stash plugin and then on code reviews. Ooh. <laughs> or on GitHub too. <laughs> no, but that's awesome. I think fundamentally to really change a company's culture, it has to come down from the leadership. I think individuals, you can impact your team and, and help shape the culture. But it, for the entire company to shift from like a really bad culture or unhealthy culture it's going to take a lot and it really needs to come from that leadership. I think it can help, but as an individual, I think of like, how can I help encourage others? How can I give kudos to someone or even like Stacy said, of avoid using terms or maybe, you know, hint at others to maybe not use terms that make people feel left out. I, I also completely agree. Like there needs to be some kind of support from the management side to kind of help with this. Uh, one thing, actually, like we had a podcast about onboarding and not that Evernote's onboarding was bad, you know, but it could be improved. And actually, during my one-on-ones, I kind of brought up some things with, like, my manager about how we can improve it. And so really having him kind of support that and then being and essentially, like, kind of helping push that um, throughout the team was, like, very, very helpful. So, yeah, definitely having, like, a manager, like, by your side. But then also putting, like, showing, like, you're willing to put up, like, some of the effort into, like, helping, like, guide or set the tone of what that kind of good culture looks like is pretty helpful is at least a start i don't know i like that so you're providing feedback but you're also saying i'm willing to help with this too it's not i'm not just throwing this at the leadership it's like hey i see a problem i'm letting you know what can i do to help right that's a great that's a great suggestion yeah Yeah, thanks guys (laughs) (laughs) i was curious to see everybody's answers because in general if you're starting a company as like an individual contributor I don't know if you can change the culture. Yeah. I was like, going to say something. I think that's what I hard. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Yeah, I just think that on an individual level, it's just so hard to change something that you are inherently a part of, if that makes any sense. So without any like um, buy-in or you know investment from the higher-ups, like you guys were saying, you do need to get buy-in from higher-up and have it kind of trickle down. You are already a product of the system, and you are stuck in the system. And I'm going to use the word toxic system because it really, it really yes. can be. And I, I was once working at a company where the system was was somewhat toxic that there really was no cheers <laughs> there really was no way out of it as an individual and if you already have a system that's not listening to you or that is you know it is inherently unhealthy and it's imposing these processes on you that just aren't working i just i don't see a way out of that at all and i i don't know if there's a better it's very hard to articulate because yeah. until you're stuck in it you're like oh I, i'm stuck in it there's there's just no way out at what point do you realize I need to just say, cut my losses and leave? So that that's the answer. And like Mars, you answered the question that, in my opinion, that's the way you can change an unhealthy culture is you leave. Right. And you, you give an honest exit interview like about why you're leaving. You just you take your talents elsewhere. Say like, I'm not working here. It's not because of money. It's because of X, X, and X. Yeah. You need to fix it. And that's kind of the only way. Just people yeah. leaving for better companies is the other way. But what I've seen is a lot of the management when in an unhealthy culture when people leave they attribute it to like oh they wanted more money oh they wanted more vacation time oh this and this and they just kind of keep living in their fantasy world oh, exactly. rather than um actually no this is our problem and if enough people say something then maybe it can change but honestly 
leaving is probably the best bet. I, I hate to, actually, I don't hate to. Uber is a great example of that. <laughs> you can't tell me for 10, 15 years, however long Uber's been around, that nobody said anything. It's just people left, but they probably didn't say, like, it's because of, like, this type of culture mm-hmm. and these types of things. People probably just left a better company or a different company. But had there not been outside influence, Uber would not have changed. Well, I, I think I question our, if they pu- have our public things that came out, like, I think yeah. if it wasn't publicized, then they would have swept it under the rug, moved on, doesn't matter, that person left, they're gone. We'll, yeah, we'll discount what they say. I mean, everybody in this room probably knows at least one person that's worked at Uber because we all live in San Francisco. And they're probably not there anymore, but they probably have very negative things to say. But they probably may not have said anything on the way out because why would they? Like, you generally don't burn bridges, but that's the only way to get change affected. But I think also, even if you did, and this has happened to me before, if you leave a company and you do give candid feedback about the culture, the culture is already set up in such a way that they're going to make excuses for why you left. So you're like, honestly, I'm leaving because the opportunities, the challenges here, you know, all of that stuff is no longer a fit for me and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then you leave and they make these grandiose statements. Someone's like, well, why are people leaving so often? It's like, well, you know, we just don't have the opportunities for them anymore and they're going to bigger companies. I'm like, well, okay, read between the lines here. It's, it's, yeah. So, I mean, even if people are leaving and it's not made public, I still think that unhealthy companies in terms of culture will make excuses for those people leaving. And like with Uber, I think until you get outside influence on it or even top down, you know, from the sea level, if they were to notice, it's, it's not going to change very quickly. What happens if the sea level is the problem? Can you clarify that? Sea <laughs> level, CEO, CEO, CEO. Oh, CEO. CFO. Sorry, sea uh, level executives. Uh, Sometimes that can be the problem. What do you do at that point? You let the tide go out. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, <laughs> so good, Stacy. That was very zen. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally <laughs> serene. Like, you let the tide go out. It's too much wine for Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Feed her more wine. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I mean, okay. Let's say company has problems with their C-level suite. They get rid of that and then bring in new leadership. Can the culture change? I think they have to do more than just remove the C-level group. They have to remove everyone that were accomplices. And that's maybe not just C-level. That's management chain people that were involved in it so that the the remnants of that culture are kind of removed completely. Um, and I think that's really hard. That is hard because you still it's still a business. And like you still are having to ship something. You're still having to hold your stakeholders, everything like that. And if you get rid of the half the company, that, that could be really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. At, at that point, I think it's systemic. And I mean, I mean, Ryan hit, I think, the nail on the head is that the company still wants to put out new products. Not a lot of companies are going to take the time to be like, OK, you know what? We're going to stop developing things for maybe a couple months and we're going to fix this problem because they all want to get new features out all the time in order yeah. to continue making money. Which I don't think is wrong. No, like, I, I think that's just the reality of like, yeah. that's what we are. You know, that's what companies do. <laughs> that's how they make money. I think uh, I've said this before, but any company that has like a VP of diversity or some some title like that to me is an unhealthy culture because why should you have to dictate that from top down? You should hire people that have an eye for diversity, that have an eye for like hiring women or people of color. You should have to like dictate that from the top. Like it's, I don't know, it, like it doesn't make sense that the CEO has to be like, hey, you have like nothing but white dudes on your team. You should hire somebody else. You shouldn't have to tell someone that. It's just, I don't know. It, it's just logic to me that you don't do that. So any company like right there that's like, hey, I'm the VP of diversity, I'm like, okay, what's wrong with your company that you need this person in charge to tell people how to hire? Like diversity is important. I'm actually kind of curious about that because I feel kind of what we talked about, it's very hard to change the culture. And perhaps let's say if I was a CEO and I came in and I saw a very, very unhealthy culture, it might be really hard for me to kind of like change that culture like by myself. So it might... I don't know, one of the reasonings bringing a VP of diversity is to like kind of help change that. And I know, I, I totally agree. Like, I think from an outside perspective, you would see that and say, oh, why do they need this person to do that if they didn't have this all figured out? But maybe they're trying to change that. that that's that, that was just my, my no, no, no. I think perception of that, you know. Good devil's advocate there is like, that could be a way, whether right or wrong, at least that company's identified there's a problem. And I don't know if that solves it, but at least they're saying we need to do something and and putting someone in charge of this, maybe not calling it that. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> they yeah, that's fair. That. Or maybe it should be like the head of people should be kind of leading that effort. Maybe that's... 
I'm very cynical in general. Like, <laughs> asking me, like, I believe people will probably do the wrong thing if you have an opportunity. But if you brought in a VP of diversity, whatever, to fix your culture, then it's already too late at that point. The best you can do at that point is like fire a lot of management to fix the problem if they're an issue. That's why I'm not pick on Uber. Actually, I'll pick on Uber. That's, <laughs> That's why, why I don't believe Uber. Uber's culture has changed. Because like, yeah, they fired some token people, but this there's 15,000 people who work there. You're telling me it was these two people at the top that made these decisions that led to this culture? No, it was like a lot of people that were not accountable. And you're going to see like, oh, we fired, we fired the intern and this C-level. The problem solved, we're turning it around. Like, that's not the way things work. And especially a large corporation, like... Hiring a VP of diversity, hiring Jem is like the black guy. <laughs> like we hired, we hired this black guy, so we're good now for diversity. Checkbox. Yeah, exactly. Done. Like that's that's not the same as like actually addressing the culture problem. I want to be devil's advocate to that right. though. I, I I do agree that hiring the diversity hire is like oh you are the diversity hire is not a good thing. However, I will say that I did have a good experience with a company I previously worked at where we weren't doing the diversity hire, but we were recognizing that we had a problem in diversity. So as opposed to oh we're just going to hire these three women, we're instead going to reassess our interview process to start yeah. bringing in a more diverse, that's, interesting group. That is a that's healthy. the way you do it. That um, is actually yeah. And I know that those efforts are still continuing there and actually they're being championed by one of my really really close friends and she's doing an amazing job but i think that that's the way you do it is like you you take you take diversity out of the equation for the sake of diversity and you start looking at the processes that are enabling the monoculture or the lack of diversity at your company overall and i think that it takes it takes a somewhat open-minded group of people to already recognize that not everyone has the same experience and the same process doesn't work for everyone and that's you know, sometimes in tech, we all kind of prescribe to the same interview process, and that's how we get, you know, the same people into tech. And we should really be rethinking and flipping interviewing on its head, in a sense. To, like, kind of tie the two things that we just brought up together, um, it, Atlassian has a head of diversity and inclusion, Aubrey, and um, the founders are very outspoken about LGBT um, issues and, and being very... Um, uh, open to say like we all people are welcome we are a team and build teams that you know include everybody um, and so from that level from a top level down I think it's always been very much that culture set um, they brought in her and I think one of the things she did that was really cool is she's doing stuff with the interview processes to help make sure that they are um, interviewing for people that um, weed out people that might be exclusionary or um, crafting them to have an extra step in the interview process to talk about like um, uh, address those kinds of issues. And so she's helping shift some of the things uh, to make it more inclusive and, and it open it up to more diverse candidates. And that's the kind of stuff I think is cool. Um, so she might be an example where I think, like, I can't speak for the whole company. Atlassian's a big company, but the culture was set top down to be pretty open and inclusive. And then they brought her in to, like, make it even more of a, a thing. I think well, it's I think cool. it's it's good to have that, and I think also in companies, I think we need to be having these conversations in general. It's not a comfortable conversation; it really is, and I feel like you should all be okay with having those uncomfortable conversations in order to really help build a great culture, and and you learn from each other, and then also just being, I think, when the hiring aspect or looking for looking for people to join the team is being aware of your own bias. I think that's one that uh, is really important because we all, you know, we tend to like look for people that are like us and just being aware of that can really help open up the pool for other people that may not be like us. And then that's helping to hire a more diverse team. We are not to, I think we're like pinging one point specifically, but um, so like the National Sympathy, Sympa, Symphony, like organization, they were like, hey, why are like 90% of the people in orchestras dudes? So what they did is they, they instituted a blind interview where you just, you rehearse or you perform before like the panel, but there's a curtain up and they can't see what happened. They can't see who you are. And these are people that like, they cared about diversity to start with, but they found that when they instituted that panel, just the blind judge, women increased by 40% of hires, which is like, we are biased. We are 100% biased. And sometimes there's nothing we can do about it. Acknowledging those biases is important. And that's like the first step. Yeah, to, just like, just calling out. A similar thing aware. happened recently too in the open source community, didn't it? In software engineering, where they kind of obfuscated the 
uh, usernames of GitHub contributors to in pull requests, and all of a sudden, like maybe not the exact same number, but like you know, a surprisingly higher number of women's pull requests were accepted to a lot of open source oh, projects. Right. And I think that's interesting because. I'm, we like to think that we're unbiased, but I mean, inherently we are, and we can be self-aware enough to recognize it, but it's not going to change the way we make our decisions necessarily. But a lot of these tools, kind of like the nudge bot, really kind of come along and, and help. And it's it's like little, little things along the way that are helping to open it up in a sense. It doesn't get rid of the bias, I don't think. That's, you know, that's too aspirational, but but it does open it up and it does introduce more diversity to the system as a whole. I mean, be it the the orchestra or, you know, tech itself. I think that's, I, I, I'll confirm this with, with uh, Aubrey, but I think in some of the teams she has removed, um, like the code challenges, like submissions, removed the name from them like so that, that they're assessed uh, based on just like the code. Um, and that shifted what people's, like more more women started making it. That's through, amazing. Which is fascinating. Yeah. So Unconscious like, bias, yeah. And that's a company that like, from top down, you're all aware of being diverse and like not being biased and the people are still biased. Yeah. That's yeah, that's really interesting. Before our picks, I wanted to get a sense that since this is like we talk about front end and coding and everything, how do we help better culture for actually like coding in general, uh, whether it be in pull requests, things are just maybe like one or two points from everyone to like, what can you do to help foster a better culture for other engineers? I would say what I guess said, like lead by example, just because like the culture is like, hey, it's people's job to like pick apart your PRs and find like every little thing that make you feel bad. Like, don't be that way. Just be like, hey, you know, like write friendly pull requests or things like that. Just like, hey, you know, you could fix this or things like that. I find that's a big change, but like mostly, yeah, be the change you want to see, not be a cliche. But like, yeah, seriously, like it's one thing to complain and like, I'm going to leave, which we all said is kind of our stated way of dealing with it. <laughs> but, but if you're like, I'm not going to leave, I'm going to fix this, like, be the good person in that when you're hiring like hire correctly be like this this person is like more qualified than this person i don't know yeah just be the better person and hopefully that propagates outward i think also in like going to the pr aspect of like instead of just like hammering on the comments go to the person's desk and like talk through that problem it, you know sometimes that can actually help a lot it's hard to really like read someone's perception in a in text like on slack or email <laughs> or in a pr and going up to that person and just saying hey i think there's some ways that we can improve this code and approaching it in that like nice friendly way and saying hey i have time like let's sit down and go through this i think can also help it's fine to comment on pull requests like i think that is really great but if you feel that there's a lot that needs to be done rather than bombarding with a bunch of comments i think that's one way that i would say just get up go go to your desk or your teammates desk and talk through it i don't know i mean i think i mean that's a that's a really good point and i also think that sometimes at least this is something that really helps for me is i think it is very hard and aspirational to be able to do that every moment of every single day. Um, and I mean, as, as self-aware as we are of our bias or our frustrations with people we work with or people we interview with or people, other people in the industry, whatever it is, to me, sometimes you just kind of need to like take a step back. And I think our industry and our tech industry and everyone in it is always like, oh my gosh, go, 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 you know, like ship, ship, ship. Like, and things need to be out now. Actually, no, they need to be out yesterday. Um, it's just to recognize that, you know what, like, it's okay. Things don't need to get out now. And in order to be, continue to be open-minded to everyone that we're surrounded with and also to challenge ourselves to surround ourselves with people that challenge us, it, it is important to just like slow down a little bit. Um, and I know that sounds very zen and a little bit hand wavy, but I found that that's something that really, really works for me is to just like slow down a little um, and just be open to new things and, you know, continue to be humble and recognize that you don't know all the answers. And I mean, neither does everyone else, but there's still something to learn from the person who sits next to you. I love that. I think slowing well down is, yeah. yeah, well said. Be the change you seek. You know, like it's not, it's cliche, but it's not cliche. It's, it's, if you're kind, kindness comes back. And, and pays you back. There, there is a karma to that. And so um, there's sort of a stereotype about developers being cranky, in a basement, whatever. <laughs> like that's like you don't you don't have to be that. And I don't know why that continues to stick. But 
Um, I choose to not be that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be cranky, the person that's always complaining about something. Um, so I try to like implore request be celebratory, to be kind, to say, great job. Like that was, that was like good. This was really good work to check in on people outside of, of, of things just to be like, Hey, how are things going? And, um, especially with junior devs or people that you're, you're kind of trying to mentor, even though it's not an official mentorship, that kind of thing. Like that kind of stuff just changes the atmosphere of the team that you're on and hopefully for the better. So that's something that I try and do. You build trust and yeah. I don't even think it necessarily needs to be with juniors. I, I get anybody. what you're saying. I think it is everyone is like, I expect a senior engineer to go like to another senior engineer and say, that was an awesome pull request or whatever. It's just like giving some positive feedback is very useful. Yeah. And a word you didn't use, but I think is like kind of encapsulates perfectly what you're saying is just empathy. Yeah. It's just yeah. like having empathy with the people that you work with. And it's it's kind of like, you know, be the change you want to see or treat people the way you want to be treated, all that stuff. But it really just comes down to empathy overall. With the cliches, like actually one of my mottos is if you assume the best in people, you get the best in people. So yeah, I, I actually really like the point that Stacy made uh, where um, she's like in, pos- in code reviews, like adding positive comments is actually like really, really awesome. Like it shows like it. It's very encouraging, uplifting, and it's really easy to overlook to do those kind of things. Um, so I totally thought that was a really great suggestion. And then I also think like just getting someone who is high. I, I still kind of believe from an IC role or even like if you're a new hire, it's really hard to kind of change um, a toxic culture. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Um, I mean, we have to finish our drinks. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So. So it really helps to get someone who's been in the company for a long time or is a little more senior to kind of like help you, support you and like kind of back you up. And then we kind of talked about biases, like really just calling out those biases, I think is really important too, because like everyone has said, like, like a lot of us aren't aware of our own biases. Like we say we're not that, but we it's like we just unconsciously aren't aware of it. So helping call it out, like brings more awareness to it. Well said. All right, as we wrap up the episode, we like to choose picks that uh, we find interesting and would like to share with our listeners. Uh, let's go around the table and share what we have for this episode. Augustus, want to start off? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I have two picks. One is this thing called Year in Pixels, where you s- this guy just kind of made this cute little web app, which saves to like local storage. And every day you can put how you're feeling for that day. You can put like, happy like just five ranges of happy sad and it's like cool to see like kind of a visualization of your mood swings so kind of like github's like committee yeah it's like a yeah contribution chart and you can just get like a little mini visualization and i think that kind of you know with all this talk of like how happy are you at like your company like this is like a really good way to visualize um so so unfortunately on this computer i didn't do it but on my other computer i do like i was really sick for like a whole week and i can see like this week of like all red so then yeah it's like oh god i feel terrible but it's like a digital bullet journal Mm -hmm. so it's yeah i thought it was really cute so um and then my second pick is this um android app called haven it was made by edward snowden actually and it's basically you can take an android device and make it like a surveillance camera so what it does is you just run it um and you leave it somewhere and like it can be like in a drawer or like just somewhere and then it like has a countdown three two one and then after that it uses your webcam to kind of detect a bunch of different things like light sound and then once it like detects that it'll like record it and it has like um like encryption to send to like a secure messaging platform so it's basically like a little mini like camera so i thought it was pretty cool wow that's really interesting stacy what do you have for us all right, two picks. The first one is um, a site called uh, carbon.now.sh. And it's basically just a way to create and share your source code in an image. So it's easier to share stuff on, like snippets on Twitter. Like here's, oh, nice. here's, and it's really beautifully formatted and whatever. And then I found out that it's from a small company out of Madison called Dawn Labs in Wisconsin. So I have to shout out to my old home state. Uh, so that's my first pick. Uh, second pick is um, a song called Sunder by Nathan Fake, and I think I've picked one of his songs before, but this is a new one that just came out. Um, influences of like Aphex Twin and Orbital. Um, it was recorded in one take, so like just wow. not caring about editing, which I always find fascinating with electronic music. So that's my, my music pick for today. That's very cool. Mars, what do you have for us? 
The first pick I have is a TV show. I just discovered The Grand Tour, which I find hilarious. I didn't realize how much British humor I was missing in my life, but now that I know, I'm never going to stop watching it. So for those of you who don't know what it is, it's um kind of a spinoff of Top Gear on Amazon Prime. So if you're looking for something that's kind of funny and want to learn about cars, maybe tangentially to the show, this is the show for you. My second pick is actually The Noun Project, which is something that's been out for a while, which has a bunch of open source icons that you can use for different presentations and articles and what have you. But what I actually fell more in love with them this week about was that their um, pro subscription, actually you can insert now um, icons directly into Google Drive, Google Slides, um, and you can insert them in all sorts of colors and sizes and formats. And also they have different apps for um, like Microsoft apps and PowerPoint and also iOS or I guess Mac. But, so it really helps to either simplify what you're saying in your slides or to enhance what you're saying in your slides and decorate it a little bit. My first pick is Uphill Conf. Uh, it's a conference in Switzerland. I will be speaking there in April. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, and for my Valley Silicon pick, that is the pick where I pick something outrageously expensive that only things in Silicon Valley can exist or people with too much money. My pick this week is... Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin is, as of now, about 6500 down. Uh, I know a lot of people, especially in Silicon Valley, invested in at like 19000 um, um, poor souls. Yeah, they, I know people that like cash out a lot of money getting to Bitcoin without realizing you're just gambling, you're just speculating. It is now almost back to where it started um, a few months ago. So that's my pick. Don't gamble what you can't afford to lose. Get aboard the train? Is that... Was, no. <laughs> it's going back up to 100000 yeah, day yeah. now. It may. That was your chance. Yeah. All right. Well, I have uh, two picks. One, I think Mars is upset that I stole. But Very hey, upset. you know, it's a great show. It's uh, a new Netflix original called Altered Carbon. It's just an amazing show. Um, I'm not done it yet. I believe I'm on episode six or seven. So good. I highly recommend going and checking that out. Can I add something to that really quickly? Absolutely. Um, if you are a fan of any kind of sci-fi, like Dollhouse, the show Dollhouse, it actually has two of the act. Well, it has an actress and an actor from Dollhouse. So if you love that those types of shows, like you know Firefly-esque, this is the show for you. Yeah, and Dollhouse only made it to like season two or yeah, something. Was, it, yeah, I thought it was a great premise, but anyways. Yeah, all right. No, no, no. <laughs> Fair, no, it was, it was a good yeah. premise. So they are they are actually pulling actors and actresses from this genre, this like cult-like yep. genre, and I think that's actually, you know, kudos to them and it's for so pulling well done. them out. I, yeah. Honestly, it's like I, I'm really impressed with like everything about it, the acting, the just the scenery that's created is, is pretty impressive. So I, I highly recommend it. My next pick is a upcoming conference that's in Park City, which, I mean, I love Park City, Utah. It's it's really beautiful and also has one of my favorite uh, whiskeys, which I think Brian Holt has really turned us on to, is High West. The upcoming conference in October is called Framework Summit. I'm really excited about it. I feel like we've all been to conferences where there's, you know, specific, like, Gemini just went to an Angular conference. There's always like React conference. Well, this is all the frameworks. And then we're really going to get in depth. And I think that'll be really interesting. There's a lot of great communities around each framework. And now we're going to get everyone in the same room and discussing the framework. So I'm, re I'm really excited for that one. We should have a live battle of the frameworks. Yes. yes. Ooh, that would be amazing. I don't know what that's going to look like. That yeah, would really that would be very good. Uh, that would be a great debate. Have JavaScript as the keyword again. <laughs> <laughs> that might get us in trouble, yeah, but yes, we might, might go home really in trouble. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to us on Front End Happy Hour podcast, uh, wherever you can get your podcast, whether it be iTunes, Overcast. What, what does everyone use nowadays? Break Breaker. Breaker is a good, but only available on iOS. Wow, but sad. Still a good one. Yeah, just, you know, just follow us and follow us on Twitter at Front End HH. Any last words? Any toxic less wor last words? <laughs> Non-toxic <Cheers>. cramps. <laughs>